Hi, I'm Chris. Hey, everybody. I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And it's time for us to shoot the flames. It's the first part of May, so it's time for us to have our monthly chat show where Chris and I talk about horror news, some recent trailers, recommendations for things to watch, and most importantly, comments and questions from you, our listeners. And we've got quite the episode for you today. There's actually a lot of news items this time around. Right. Well, I think a lot of people are having enough time right now to just like be inside, away from everybody. They're having Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting and people are just letting their creative juices flow. And so like as soon as they can get back to work, they are going to start making some shit or just not follow through with everything they've done during this exactly. quarantine. <laughs> and that said, the trailers are a little... Thin on the ground right now because everyone's pushing everything back. So bear with us. Yeah. So, I mean, eventually we will have a more jam-packed section of trailers and shooting the flames. But for right now, it's pretty uh, slim pickings. So how are you doing in the quarantine? Oh, I mean, I'm okay. I get to go back to work every day, you know, so it's like I... I get to get out of the house and I still have access to, to people, you know, and conversation outside of my, my husband. Mm. Um, and I recently traveled to Missouri for, you know, some family emergency. So I've actually been a really bad quarantine person lately. <laughs> so, Well, I think that's understandable when a family emergency comes to bear. Yeah. But I mean, mostly I'm doing okay. Uh, our governor here in Texas has said that uh, on Friday, as of this recording, we can open up restaurants and movie theaters and everything. What? Yeah. But, um, well, Massachusetts is uh, still on lockdown and now we're required by law to wear face masks or suffer a fine of $300. Uh, yeah, not, uh, not Texas. We're just going to go full force. Well, not full force. <laughs> so like, uh, 25% capacity, I think is what they said for some of these things. So I mean, okay. I so you're going to space all the tables out and all that. Yeah, but I mean, 25% capacity, I would think, especially for like a movie theater, it does not pay to run your business. So I don't know. I think a lot of these businesses are going to be making their own choices about what they're going to do. I think some places like Alamo Drafthouse might be okay with that just because there's all these people ordering food. That is so much more expensive than a normal bucket of popcorn. But. Yeah, it's true. I don't know that I'll be doing that, though. So, I mean, I think I might be staying away just for a little bit. I do want to live. Yeah. So... And I've been all right. I actually went outside for the first time in about a month. Oh, yay. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Good. What did you do? I went, I needed to get in the sun. I was like, either I'm going to have to start like taking copious amounts of multivitamin, you know, or I'm going to have to go out in the sun or something. And I did. And once the, the hissing and spitting stopped, I was actually enjoying myself. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. Like, really, I wanted you to just like at least go for a walk or something. Yeah, all I need is 20 minutes a month, so I'm good. <laughs> That's it, and then it's back to the crypt for you? So. Yes. <laughs> so let's start off with some reviews, like we always do here on Shooting the Flames. And this month, we didn't really get any reviews on, like, Apple Podcasts, um, but we did get a tweet that was sent out by at the real GL Hal Jordan via Twitter. And he just mentioned us one day and said, by the way, just wanted you both to know that I'm so glad I discovered you guys when I started listening to podcasts. Your show is easily my favorite. Oh, 
Thank you so much. I know I replied to you and said thank you. That's very high praise. And you are one of our most active listeners. You're always commenting and giving us questions and things like that. And we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we um, really do. In fact, we've got a lot from you, I think, uh, in this episode. That's right. With that being said, guys, this is the first month in a while where we haven't had a review from Apple Podcasts to read on Shooting the Flames. And we really like doing that. So if that is your podcast app of choice, head over there, give us a five-star review, a little snippet of why you like our podcast, and we will read those on Shooting the Flames. But also, like we did for the GL, the real GL Hal Jordan and some others, I think, from Facebook and whatnot, if you ever post something that's, you know, review-like on any of these platforms, we're for sure read that too. Of course, because we recognize that not everyone uses Apple Podcasts. It's just basically how podcasts get rated and, and ranked in the SERPs and all that. Right. It's not it's not just our fragile egos that we like. I mean, it really does provide a function. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let's dive into our comments. Yes. So from our deep dive of Dawn of the Dead 2004 at Real Hal Jordan said, uh, Y'all almost made me cut myself. I was listening to you guys while I was shaving, and your synopsis made me cackle when you mentioned the young lady going after the dog. <laughs> the fucking dog. I swear, every time. <laughs> so, um, as a warning to listeners, uh, sometimes we're funny, so you might want to avoid using sharp objects while listening to our podcast. <laughs> yes, please keep all of your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. <laughs> Uh, from our Outtakes 3.0 episode that we released uh, at the end of March, just sort of as a way to, you know, lift everyone's spirits during the, the quarantine time, at Matthew T. McHenry said, oh my god, guys, I really needed the Outtakes episode today. So uh, we're really glad that, you know, that it worked and some people got to be a little happier for that brief 15 minute period or longer. I yeah, mean. I saw some other comments like that, too. So it's and that's the whole point of why we did that is because we know people are kind of stuck in the inside and probably need a little pick me up here and there. So that's what we had to offer. So I'm glad some people enjoyed it from our what to stream episode. Uh, Nikki on Patreon said, better watch out is on Shudder now. I enjoyed it. Hubby, not so much. We also watched Absentia on Shudder, which had good jump scares, but felt like it was a college film student senior project in some ways. Ooh, I have never heard of that movie. Spilled the tea. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Because I've seen some movies like that and you're just like, this just seems like some sort of thesis. Yeah, our final project. What's Absentia? Who's the actor in that? Is that Shia LaBeouf or is that something else? Um, I don't know. I think you're thinking of Suburbia or Disturbia or something like that that he was in. I don't okay. know. I've never heard of Absentia. But I mean, like, so I'm glad that Nikki got onto Shudder. I mean, Shudder's got a lot of options, things that you may have never heard of. And it sort of spans film history and there's a lot to choose from. And if you're just looking for things to watch, you might land on something like Absentia and, and give it a shot, you know, that you mm -hmm. might have otherwise missed. So, I mean, it's a good streaming platform to have for sure. Um, so we did an episode on cruising way back last June and we've gotten our, maybe our first like real comment on youtube is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least the first one that i was completely aware of and he wrote the most fascinating part about this movie is that if this would have been made today shot by shot i believe it would get raving reviews similar to some of the blumhouse productions that share an unintentional seeming comedic element it would be talked about as some kind of genius subversive commentary even if made by a straight director ari oster 
I'm in no way saying that this is really what Friedkin was trying to do, but if made today with a modern view on homosexuality by the GP, the straight male lead would probably be featured in Out Magazine for taking on something this ambiguous. Hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for that substantial comment. Honestly, those are some interesting points. Um, you know, I I don't know. It's so weird because it's such a product of its time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it just it couldn't have happened before that. And it really can't really happen after that so much as it just really fits that era, you know. And did I can't remember. Did we conjecture about what it would be like if Cruising were made today back when we did that episode? I may need to give uh, it a listen. Possibly. I, I'm not sure, but I think he has a really good point here. Obviously, the times have changed enough for different eyes to look at this than back then. But of course, we did talk a lot about how cruising came out before the whole, you know, AIDS scare and a huge public kind of about face on, you know, um, you know, progress for gay rights and things like that. And it was like a nuclear bomb on that road. And so post all of that this would be an interesting period film maybe Mm -hmm. you know so i don't know yeah it's uh it's interesting yeah and i just i mean like it just seems like the kind of movie that shouldn't be remade to me and i know that if 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 it were being remade i think a lot of it would just um they would just be comparing it to the original the entire time and it would just bring up so many old wounds that that movie created so, I mean, a lot of this is just conjecture, right? If it were being made today for the first time, yeah, I think it would be received a lot differently than it did back in the 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. rather. So, um, I don't know. So, from our episode of Cabin in the Woods just last month, Kara, or at Anais... Anais Nincompoop. I fucking... Nincompoop. <laughs> Hi, Kara. I love that <laughs> handle. It's Anais Nin, right? She wrote, like, erotica and... Anais Nincompoop, I think it's just great. What a good name. Well, she said, uh, if they ever made another, I want it to start with the elevator scene and do a one-by-one origin clip for each monster. Yes. Um, Honestly, it's funny that you mentioned that because that sounds a little bit like some of the sequel ideas that Robert came up with for our sequel ideas of Cabin in the Woods on Patreon. So make sure you go and check that out. That's right. We did a whole bonus segment last month where we talked about just, you know, what we would like to see as a continuation of the story in some form. Yeah. And so Robert came up with two ideas and I actually wrote a short story. A really good short story, though. I've listened to it two times now and it's (laughs) fan fiction. I love it. (laughs) Uh, at Cody Landman says, I remember when I saw this opening night and my pretty packed theater was totally into it. It's a bummer. It wasn't as big as it should have been. I'm totally guilty of assuming a movie is going to be big solely based on how packed my showing is. I hope I'm not alone on that. No, not at all. I think that when I go into a movie and it's really packed or I have a hard time finding a seat when I'm buying tickets, I assume that this movie is going to be huge, you know, but I think we have to remember opening weekends are usually the biggest part for movies unless they have an extreme word of mouth, which is why I thought this movie was going to be much bigger than it was. I saw it Hmm. weeks after it was released and I thought that by then word of mouth would have spread like wildfire. Well, it certainly has had legs because people are still talking about this film in a big way. So we also got some questions, starting with Nikki via email. Do you have your lists saved anywhere? I'm usually driving when I listen to your podcast, so I can't write down the recommendations. I love the links to the previews in the podcast notes, but this would be awesome. She also mentioned this on Patreon um, for one of the lists. 
and usually I, I put all of our list items in like no, in, you know, like alphabetical order between the both of us in our show notes. But for some of them, I've apparently forgotten and had no idea. And so I think she had listened to our like top 10 vampire, uh, vampire spirit, vampire movies. And yeah, the list was not anywhere to be seen in the show notes. But recently she, uh, in response to this email, I did say that I would add our lists to our letterboxed account. And so I have done so with all of the ones that I had written down in our notes before we record. And so most of our lists are now on letterboxed. If you want to check those out separated between, uh, my lists and Robert's list. However, there are some missing ones. So Nikki, I promise eventually I will get there whenever I've done (laughs) editing or in between, you know, everything else. So sorry about that, but, uh, working on it and i mean another person commented about our show notes too eddie tamario put something on twitter about how you know he's listening to shooting the flames while he's doing something else and so he appreciates the our, our list of recommendations in those show notes as well chris works tirelessly on these show notes and he makes sure that links work and everything and so it, i'm sure it makes us and especially him very happy to know that people are going and checking those things right? yeah this is probably one of the first times in the last I don't know, almost two years that we've done this podcast that I've actually heard people comment on the show notes and I've been doing it this whole time. Validation. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Allred on Facebook had a question and it sort of came from our Cabin in the Woods episode. He says, so what's your take on how the film was also an indictment of the horror audience? That we are the ancient ones who demand things to happen in specific ways. Also, I personally wouldn't have gone with Sigourney Weaver. I would have gone with a well-known horror director in keeping with the meta nature of the movie john carpenter etc would have been more fun in my opinion that's absolutely genius i think that as as much as i think that would have been amazing for us yeah those of us in the know especially those of us who know what you know john carpenter looks like versus i think the mass they i think they landed on something where the masses would you know instinctively react and have a visceral reaction to seeing someone on screen like they did sigourney weaver you know so i understand why they did it but i also understand the genius of what you're trying to suggest as far as like uh an indictment of the horror audience yeah in a way that's also the facility in general, you know, I think that's a really good point. And I agree. I mean, I, I, I've never really thought of it that way. So I think you bring up a really interesting question. Um, cause I know that we had talked about his movie was sort of indictment on the horror genre itself, but I think that we, as the audience never stop to consider ourselves while watching a movie, because that would be f- like way more meta than what the movie actually was. <laughs> right. So like meta intimidating. No, I'm going to say that. But uh, yeah, so I would have to stop and think about it more, you know, but I think you're on to a really good point. And I think that, you know, each horror viewer can stop and ask these questions of themselves. And that makes it a very personal question to ask yourself. Do you demand certain things from the horror movies that you watch? Are you more open to things, right? Yeah. Give me blood. Are you disappointed when the virgin lives or dies? Or Yeah. <laughs> because I know there are some people who are like, oh, that movie wasn't bloody enough or like, or, you know, that movie didn't have enough violence or there, you know, there wasn't this and that in that movie and you know and sometimes we get poked at from other horror fans because you know we have a pretty wide view on what horror is you know and so i mean every horror viewer is different you know but yeah especially with those details of like oh we need to see her topless or something those are the rules you know we don't make them up whatever you know it's like this is a really good point so yeah i kind of wish that we had taken that a little bit further um with our conversation so thank you for you know adding to it 
Yes, that was an excellent question. And we have a new patron, Nikki. And as you've probably noticed, Nikki has been sending in emails and asking us questions or comments on Patreon itself. And she is becoming more and more of a lively and uh, active participant in this podcast. So we really, really appreciate that, Nikki. You're actually making obviously an impact since I'm doing, you're putting me to work on letterboxd, um, you know, and, and, and pointing out when things are missing from the shout outs. And that's something that we need. So thank you very, very much. Yes. Thank you, Nikki. Welcome to the Patreon family. We're so happy to have you. And I mean, like Chris said, thanks for all the comments and questions. We really appreciate all of that. And we hope that you enjoy all the bonus content that we have over there on Patreon. Yeah. I I was just looking and I think we're up to 45 bonus episodes over there. So you guys have a lot of backlog and you just go through and see what you want to listen to the most and just, you know, start your, start your pathway through those. So, and for those on Patreon, um, we will include comments from our bonus episodes too, right? On shooting the flames. Yeah, so, and we're not afraid of uh, posting comments from past episodes, obviously. So if that's you right. comment on an old episode, whether it's on Patreon or anywhere else, we're probably going to include it on the next Shooting the Flames. That's right. Horror News. So uh, there was an article that was posted recently within the last month that there is a Hellraiser reboot that we already knew was sort of in the works, but it's found its writing and directing team. So the filmmaking team behind Sundance Film Festival sensation, The Night of the House. It's just Nighthouse. Oh, what did I say? Did I say Night of the, the Night House? Night of the House. <laughs> 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 I wasn't going to say anything. Oh my God. David, David Bruckner, who directed Nighthouse, as well as sections of the horror anthologies VHS and Southbound, which I love, will helm the feature. Uh, they'll have a screenplay by Ben Collins and Luke. Oh my God. Piotrowski. <laughs> Piotrowski, Luke Piotrowski. David Goyer, one of the producers of Nighthouse, is writing the story and producing via his Phantom 4 banner alongside Kenneth Keith Levine. What's the hell's wrong with me today? So this is interesting. I you know, I'm not that familiar with this team. Uh I've never seen Nighthouse. Um I've I've heard either. good things. I, obviously you love Southbound. Southbound was great. I was on the fence with VHS. I also love VHS. But I mean, like you have to remember that I have a I, have a, I like anthologies, you know. So Yeah. However, in unrelated Hellraiser news, there is a series under development with HBO of all places. So uh, Mark uh, Verheiden and Michael Doherty, one of our Yay. favorites in the horror space today are writing the project with David Gordon green, whose credits obviously include directing Halloween, the newest Halloween and whose longstanding relationship with HBO extends to Eastbound and down vice principals and the righteous gemstones is attached to direct several episodes. So I love this team. Yes. It's going to be interesting. It almost sounds like an anthology, the way they're doing it. But it's going to be, uh, I believe, actually, I could be wrong, because I think in the article they mentioned that they're going to do like the Hellbound Heart thing from the original Clive Barker. So that's going to be interesting, because if the Hellraiser reboot is happening as a movie, that's also going to be based on that original work. For the you know, or at least based on the movie, which was based on that original work, which the movie was actually directed by fucking Clive Barker himself. Yep. You know, so this is going to be interesting to see. Uh, I feel like if the movie does horribly, then that could affect the show, or the show could affect the movie. I have I have no idea, but it's weird that the same uh, that they're being rebooted at the same time in two different formats. So interesting. 
Yeah, and I mean, I'm kind of glad that they're calling it a reboot instead of a sequel, right? I mean, because Hellraiser has many sequels, all of which, most of which I haven't seen. But I mean, like, it seems like we're having some sort of like Hellraiser renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. But when you get a name like Michael Doherty and name like David Gordon Green attached to a project, I think that Hellraiser episodically would be good. Like, I'm kind of interested to see what that does. And HBO is no slack when it comes to its like episodic television. No, obviously. And they, they, they really like to, and sometimes they're very genre heavy in their choices for series development. And I applaud that. So yeah. I think that it's found a really good home and that's exciting news for me. And um, I mean, I think this is happening a lot. So when we had that reboot of Child's Play last summer and then like the original creator of Child's Play is now making a TV show for sci-fi. And we've got Candyman reboot coming out and... So I wonder if then we'll have a Candyman TV series coming out. Maybe it's just like the tandem things that are happening now. Yeah, and then Scream's going to get remade, and God, Ugh. it's just Is all it? happening. <laughs> I don't know. They already made it into a Scream or a TV show, didn't they? Uh, do you know what else is getting rebooted that I read last week? The Others, that Nicole Kidman movie. Does that? I feel like well-shot period films don't really need to be redone. Oh. They're going to move it into modern times. Okay, whatever. So, so I'm like, oh, just leave that movie alone. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, but... Leave the others alone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare bring them into the sunlight. <laughs> uh, Sam Raimi has announced that he is going to be directing the Doctor Strange sequel, The Multiverse of Madness. I don't right. even know what to say to that because like we were kind of depressed that the last director dropped uh-huh. out because he was so good, but, and you still haven't seen Dr. Strange, but no. it's really, really, really good and has some of the best, best visuals in all of Marvel cinematic universe. Um, but Sam Raimi doing it and it's supposed to be more of like a horror adjacent, even more so than the first one, which had his moments, I guess. Um, this is something that's very exciting potentially to me. So I am very pleased. And I completely agree because when Sam Raimi did his original Spider-Man trilogy, I liked those very much. Yeah. And also, you know, I'm a huge fan of all of his other work, obviously evil, Dead, evil dead too. And then I really loved, um, dark man. (laughs) Dark man is one of my favorite movies too. I love dark man. You know, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I mean, like I really like Sam Raimi as a director and I, I think he makes really good artistic choices. And based on what we know, the sequel is going to be about, even with my limited knowledge of what the first movie was. I mean, it sounds like a blast. I'm almost shocked that this is the first time that he's gone into the MCU because I mean, he kicked off, you know, everything with the Spider-Man series, not with Marvel Studios. That was Iron Man. But, you know, he obviously proved his ability and he is a very famous and successful director with a style and flourish of his own. And, you know, I love that it's this movie that he gets to start his relationship with Marvel Studios off with. So. And I hope it continues because, I mean, like he's he's got a good eye for the crazy and. I like that. It does mention in this article uh, that Chris will put in our show notes um, that he has, he mentioned Dr. Strange directly in Spider-Man two that he made. So apparently yep. like mm-hmm. he's laying some groundwork already. And so, Hey, I'm, this is probably one of those Marvel movies that I will go see in the theater for sure. I've got to watch the first one, but I cannot find it. <laughs> it's not on Disney plus yet. Really? Yeah. That's and odd. it's not on Netflix anymore. So I'm just going to have to purchase it. <laughs> mm. Okay. Since I love Tilda now, too. So, I mean, like, I should just watch the movie. Okay. Speaking of things that 
you love and enjoy. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark sequel is on the way with director Andre Overdahl from, you know, who directed Troll Hunter and Autopsy of Jane Doe returning. So you did not enjoy this because you were such a fan of the original work. I was okay with it. I thought it was entertaining and everything else. And it seemed like it was made for kids, which the books really were for, you know, so I'm kind of on the fence with this, but I feel like this is a director who's very intelligent yeah. and he's going to kind of listen to some of the feedback from the horror community and possibly make some changes. So it'll be interesting because the last movie kind of left on a cliffhanger. Well, when that movie was first released, I saw a lot of negative comments and reviews on social media but since its release onto vod or blu-ray things have changed i think a lot of people liked it and a lot of critics a lot of critics liked that movie back in the summer when it was released so i think that i'm sort of like in the you know not so popular opinion of it now um well i don't i certainly don't think you're alone with all the hardcore fans of the book you know i think people that came new to it you know really enjoyed it a lot more just like anyone almost like that's that's really typical of people that have read a book and then go see it and it's very rare that a movie is as good as the book or surpasses it and this just wasn't the case so it's going to be interesting though that they're going to continue to do this series because it did well and they're going to be able to to tell more stories from those books you know which that's something that you had a problem with is like the ones that they chose some of your favorites weren't in there and so now yeah. there's, a, there's a chance that they're going to be able to do that so you know what more power to them and that's good and I, I, I will totally watch the movie when it comes out and see the direction they take it in i will say one of my favorite things about the original scary stories to tell in the dark movie or the first one i should say um, is that like when they created the creatures and stuff for it, it was really, really like, um, Guillermo del Torian. <laughs> no, it looked like, like the creatures looked like the illustrations from yeah. it. It was, you know, really faithful to the way that those creatures looked. And as long as they continue that and making sort of like, and then not hardly any of it was CGI, you know, like if they create these lifelike recreations of these illustrations, I'm on board. I'll yeah. go see it, you know, take my money. So, yeah. Uh, finally, we have learned something last week that I think blew the minds of horror fans on, uh, on social media, and that's that Dolly Parton secretly produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we're just now finding out about it. <laughs> yeah, so this news struck, and it's a little buzzfeedy, I think, because yeah. you know, I don't know how much she personally was involved, right? It's uh, her production company that she started with a friend. Uh, Sand Dollar. A while, yeah, a while mm-hmm. before Buffy came out, and they also produced the movie, or helped produce yep. it. And so I don't know how much, I haven't seen any direct quotes from Dolly Parton herself on this, so i want to i want to take this with a little grain of sand you know but i want to think that she was like in the fucking writing room with joss whedon going like give her bigger tits or something i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i assume that she wasn't like so heavy-handed in its production because she started this company with a friend right and i think uh, the friend really felt that the property had places to go right and so she pushed to it but apparently according to this article there's an homage to Dolly Parton somewhere and Buffy the Vampire Slayer it has to do with someone's birthday Buffy's birthday on her tombstone actually I think and it's the same day as Dolly Parton's birthday so Mm -hmm. I mean coincidence I don't Mm -hmm. know but when Chris sent me the link to this article he texted it to me and I was (laughs) 
Like the look on my face was, was <laughs> wonderful. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, uh, I really want to get some sort of like, you know, quote from Dolly Parton about this to see what her involvement really was, you know. We'll reach out to her people and uh, see if. <laughs> and the article titles of, of this, like everyone just started like, you know, re-putting it on their own, their own platforms or whatever. And one of them was just like, Dolly Parton secretly produced Buffy and we don't deserve her. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really don't. She was already an American icon, you know. So And she has been reading bedtime stories or recording bedtime stories during this quarantine for people to listen to. I mean, like, and others have been doing that too, but God bless you, Dolly Parton. <laughs> I mean, my lord. Coming soon. Like we said earlier in the episode. Uh, there's been a dearth of, of horror trailers recently. Yeah, but we did get one really good one. Yes, and I'm so glad that we did. <laughs> and that is Peninsula, which is the Train to Busan sequel, and it is crazy, batshit crazy, and I love it. It looks amazing. I can't wait. Yes, I am super looking forward to seeing this movie. Guys, if you have not seen this trailer, please go and watch it, because Chris is right. It is batshit crazy, right? So the movie apparently is taking place like five years after the original story of Train to Busan and uh, South Korea has sort of become this like ghost land. And like it says in the trailer, the only rule is survival. Yeah. So if like Train to Busan was their Night of the Living Dead, Peninsula looks like their Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. You know, and it and I feel like that really lines up and it looks like that. So I, I, I'm really excited. And and for those of you who haven't seen Train to Busan, really go check it out. It's one of the best zombie films of the last probably 30 years ever. Yeah. I mean, it totally made I think it made both, did it make of, both our, of our top yes, top tens. Yeah. When we did zombie movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so good. It's it's action packed. It's thoughtful. It's dramatic. You know, in ways that like it made me cry a little bit. You know, and I mean, it's just a really really good movie, and it's available on just about every streaming platform. So go watch Train to Busan, watch this trailer because it's going to be good. And I really hope that when this movie gets released in the theaters, because I think a lot of people in America have seen Train to Busan at this point, mm. that this could be like a really profitable foreign horror film Mm -hmm. and i think after parasites win at the oscars i mean we're gonna be paying attention to some asian movies right and so yeah i hope it makes a shit ton of money and i just want to ask you because i I couldn't i didn't know if i saw this right i watched the trailer like three times when they're in that little arena thing right and they open the door there's like a, a amalgam like a whole bunch of zombies like or put together like chasing after it like some fucking scorpion it just looks <laughs> fucking great I'm like oh my god i cannot wait to see this movie yeah so yeah it was basically the only trailer that we saw that was worth putting on our list if you guys have seen any trailers that i don't know don't look like they're fucking student films please send us the link maybe we'll include it in the next shooting the flames hopefully we don't have such a dearth of trailers for next month yeah i guess we'll see i mean i know that a lot of movies that are slated to be released have been pushed back or some are just coming straight to vod um and so i just haven't seen a lot of trailers being put out there but let us know i mean we'll we'll watch any trailer for sure recommendations all right so chris and i have been sort of busy watching things lately since our last um episode of shooting the flames i think we have a good 
five or six things each to talk about. Yeah. So I'll start. Uh, I finally watched Annihilation, directed by Alex Garland. Of course, he is the director behind Ex Machina, uh, which I I really loved. And what 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 else has he directed? Alex, oh my God, he wrote. Um, didn't he write Sunshine? Oh shit, yes. He drew, he wrote Sunshine, which is you know one of my favorite sci fi slash horror films ever. And yeah, so uh, I finally watched it. I I, I guess I thought. Or had remembered it being a, as more of like a like a dark sci-fi, you know. And I just never went and saw it, even though I really wanted to. And of course, I knew that Natalie Portman was in it, but I didn't realize that Jennifer Jason Lee or Tessa Thompson yes. were in it. And I didn't realize it was going to be so horror. So I came through it of the lens of watching it as a sci-fi and didn't expect nearly as much horror as I got. And there was a shit ton of horror and existential horror and, you know, thought provoking stuff. So I don't know. It's a kind of a slow burn, but there's so much visual intrigue in this film. Like, you know, I feel like it's, it's underrated. I feel like it's going to last the test of time for, you know, um, analyzation so it'd be interesting to do a deep dive sometime down the road in the next few years of annihilation but uh yeah so i finally watched it i recommend it and um yeah i was excited i, I tweeted or tweeted i messaged you and i was like mm-hmm. have you seen this like did you realize that this was like a horror film because it's it's fun to find these kind of diamonds in the rough that you didn't realize were actually a, you know a part of the horror genre because they weren't marketed that way because of course we still have the horror ghetto where you know marketers of films are afraid of marketing some of their films as horror you know especially if they can say it's some other kind of subgenre or genre so of course uh you let me know that you had seen it and you had expected the horror and so your your excitement of it was a few <laughs> notches down from mine <laughs> but i mean i thought it was a really good movie you know so like you weren't expecting the horror and i wasn't expecting the level of sci-fi you know, so I think that it was just like like opposites for us okay. as far as this movie goes. Like I, I had only heard that it was a horror movie, a Natalie Portman horror movie, and I knew that they, like it was like sort of interdimensional or whatever, which should have led me to believe there would be some sci-fi elements or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really good movie, and I would love to rewatch it again. I'd love to talk about it. So I think that yeah, that needs to be put on the docket sometime. Well, I'm also really excited about the future of Alex Garland. Yeah, because he's only given us awesome. So. I'm I'm really looking forward to other things that he does in the future. Well, let's just look it up right quick, like, and see, since I have IMDb pulled up. He did one between Ex Machina and Annihilation, and I've forgotten what it's called because I haven't seen it. So, um, Annihilation, Ex Machina, Dread, he wrote the screenplay for. I guess the reboot of that. I love Dread. Have you seen Dread? I haven't. Oh my God, it's so fucking horror. You would love it. And uh, he did... I'm writing that down for my future Flamers flashbacks. Oh, good. I'll watch it. Um, He did... uh, He wrote Sunshine, and he also wrote 28 Days Later. Well, the bad guy is um, Cersei from Game of Thrones in Dread. What? Really? Yes. And she is so good. And Carl Urban plays a really good Dread. Apparently, he's also a novelist because he wrote the novel for The Beach. I have uh... rarely seen as much gore in a film, like body gore, like, (laughs) that I have in Dread. And it is hardcore. That's really well, good. Well, that makes me excited to see it then because, I mean, all, I've, I've seen Judge Dredd, right? The Sylvester Stallone movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when they were doing the other one, I was just like, well, I'm not going to watch that. Well, also, <laughs> Judge Dredd is supposed to be gay. He's a gay character. So what? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a part of the story, but that's the character's background. 
So I don't know. It's just, it's a really good movie. And, and there was a huge campaign that I was actually, you know, let my hand to a little bit of trying to get a sequel made. Carl Urban was on board, like everyone that had made it was on board, but it just didn't do well because no one, yeah, everyone had still the bad taste in their mouth from Sylvester Stallone. And, uh, you know, just, I don't know, maybe the marketing wasn't on board, but I mean, they have some of the best camera effects um, that I've seen in a film. And you'll understand it when you see it. You are due. It's your choice on Patreon this month for a Flamers flashback. So mm-hmm. choose wisely, friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched a movie from 2013 called Coherence. And um, I was bored one Sunday and I was like looking through every movie that everyone in the world has recommended me, including you. And I was just like, no, I don't want to watch any of this. Dick. <laughs> 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 but i i saw something on amazon prime or hulu or something and it said coherent so i looked it up and the the fucking um synopsis is strange things begin to happen when a group of friends gather for a dinner party on an evening when a comet is passing overhead and i was like oh yeah we just watched the invitation sure i'll watch this and it's like talk about science fiction you know, like, I think you need to have a degree in advanced physics to sort of like understand this movie. It was good. Don't get me wrong. It's got Nicholas Brendan in it, of all people. But, um, yeah, so it's like there's multi, uh, I don't know, like planes of reality or different realities. What would you call those? If there's like, like a copy of us going on. Alternate realities. Another- yeah, like an alternate universe kind of thing, right? And they're all sort of melding together, yeah. right? And I think that this is one of those movies. In fact, most of the movies on my recommendations list are like, it's one of those, the least you know about it, the better kind of watches, right? And so I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about these movies. I don't want to spoil them. But it was good. I think that you would appreciate this movie a hell of a lot more than I did, actually. Okay. So, But it's like, it's kind of a slog, <laughs> but the ending is fantastic. Okay. You know? So, I mean, like, once you can just like, it, and it's especially hard for me. You know, so I'm like, once I just like let go of the fact that there are multiple universes running around and just like enjoyed the ride, it was better if I didn't have to figure out like the science behind it. Okay. So, was pot yeah. involved in your viewing of this film? Well, <laughs> pot is involved in many, many of you, all the viewings of any movies that I watch. <laughs> So yes, I was good and stoned and I was just like, now what? I was like, I wonder if the other Robert is stoned right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Somewhere there's like some sort of like sober Robert running around and doing good deeds. I don't know what in the world is going on. Just just thought I'd check. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What else you got? So I watched Code 8. (laughs) <laughs> it's a sci-fi with i guess some some horror elements um it came out on netflix and of course it has the amel brothers robbie and steven amel who are oh hey amazing and um <laughs> and they're both Holy sh- completely ripped oh my fucking god okay are they in the movie yeah or whatever is this, they, is this a movie they, or a tv they show they produced it and they were you know actors in it they didn't play brothers as they are in real life but Still, I I like superpowers. It's like a whole like commentary on like immigration and racism and otherness and everything else. 
kind of like X-Men, but it's much more like real world. They're just trying to like have jobs and, and do everything, but they're being like tracked by the government because they have these abilities and blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of like a heist movie. And it's, uh, it's, it was good. I liked it. The music for it was actually way better than it deserved. And I actually had to, uh, save some tracks to my favorite scores playlists. Um, oh, wow. but it was, it was, it was good. I mean, it's, um, you know, direct to, to Netflix, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that it was in theaters. Maybe it was for a hot second, but, um, no, it was, uh, it was good. So I don't know if you're looking for something that's easy. Um, you know, it does, uh, has a little bit of thought provoking, but it's a little heavy handed, but you know, if you're a fan of Robbie and Steve at Amel, um, you know, not for their acting <laughs> ability, <laughs> then watch that film. Um, it's popped up when I scroll through Netflix and I just didn't, it looked like there was a robot or something on the little picture. Yeah. I was like, is this a- they have a special like robot police force that jumps down from these helicopters and, and drones and stuff that go through the city. And that's how they deal with people with superpowers. And it seemed to be like element based. Like there's people that can do like electricity, which is um, what uh, Robbie Amel's powers are and there's a really cool shot in the trailer that's kind of why i watched it of him shooting a helicopter from the street with his uh oh. electric ability and then there's people that are telekinetic and the people that are telepathic and there's people that can do fire and stuff like that so were the effects good yeah really good very high high you know production value you know so it's a it's a good it's a good watch i recommend okay well i will add that add that to my ever growing list um, so like I said earlier, I was in Missouri for sort of a family emergency thing. And my, uh, my, my entire family knows that like we listen, well, we have a podcast and a lot of them listen to it. And so one of my aunts was like, she's been telling me every time that we have a family get together, she's like, have you seen this one movie? It's about these people who go into a house to, you know, check out the haunting or experiment with it. And I was just like, oh, the haunting. And she's like, no, no, that's not it. It's from the seventies. And I was like, no, I was like, the only one that I know is from the 60s or whatever. No, there, <laughs> there was a dreadful remake of it. I'm sure I said it just like that, too. And so finally, she was like, we when I was up there this time, she brought it up again. And she was like, I just had a like a recovered memory and Roddy McDowell's in it. And I was just like, well, let's just look up Roddy McDowell and we'll see if we can figure out what it is. I love Roddy McDowell. <laughs> yeah. So apparently it's called The Legend of Hell House. And it's from 1973, and we sat down and watched it when we had a minute. And um, But just a minute. But just a minute. And it was good. Like, I think I gave it, like, three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Like, it was, it was a decent movie. Roddy McDowell was good in it. And really, so, like, this rich man, and it's very British, this rich man bought this property that has, like, you know the reputation of being haunted and he wanted to make sure that it wasn't haunted before he moved in. So he creates this team to go into it. He has like this parapsychologist who's also a physicist. He's got Roddy McDowell, who's a physical medium, meaning that he can like manipulate objects and things like that. And then he's got another character who's a mental medium and she can sort of like go into trances and communicate with spirits. And they all go in to this house and sort of like solve the mystery as to why it's haunted. And it was actually a really good movie, you know? And since it's so very British, like it seemed really smart. (laughs) (laughs) So we were halfway through the movie and I was like, this movie's really smart. It's good. (laughs) 
So yeah, I mean, like if you have, I mean, and I hadn't, I had no idea what the hell it was and we heard of it. So if you're looking to go back and watch some good early seventies British horror. So this is post hammer, right. Um, or maybe like right in the thick of it. And, uh, it's good. Go watch it. Yeah. Um, you, it's, you have to rent it or purchase it on Amazon. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, but it was worth it. I went ahead and bought the movie. So, so I watched some kind of non horror stuff. Like I finished better call Saul, which is an amazing show. I finished um, Shit's Creek, which just had their actual finale of a series, which was amazing. One of the best uh, queer, you know, realistic and, to me at least uh queer stories and uh hilarious hilarious show i love Catherine o'hara and that show but we've talked about that before but it finally ended as a series um i think uh all but the last season are on netflix and then the the final season um i was just buying all the card episodes on amazon just to finish it up but um also watched the impossible finally about the uh tidal wave that you know the boxing day tidal wave of uh thailand and in a number of other countries a number of years ago and it stars naomi watts and ewan mcgregor and tom holland a young tom holland and um yeah it was uh it was really really good there's some um i think there's some criticism about kind of following a white family on vacation over there but because it was boxing day and it was on these uh, vacation towns and stuff like that along the coast. I'm, what I'm trying to say is I understand why it followed that, especially for a film that, you know, is made so that the American and British and European audiences can kind of understand. I believe if the original family was not British, but they were Spanish on vacation. But anyway, I digress. It was a uh, fairly horrific uh, real life horror. Yeah, it was really good. I had the I had, think I had the single tear a couple times. I liked that movie. I watched it when it came out. I thought it was really, really good. And I had more than a single tear more than once in that movie. I remember crying a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. But it's good. And I I love Naomi Watts. I just do. I mean, I love you and McGregor. Anything that she's in. <laughs> I also like you and McGregor, you know? And so, I mean, I, I thought it was a really, really well-made, well-acted movie. I'm surprised that it didn't get more acclaim than it did. I think a lot of people haven't seen this movie, yeah. actually. And that's sad. So, so um, like we talked about earlier, a lot of these horror movies that were scheduled for release in the theaters, either in some sort of limited capacity or widely, um, are now being shoved to either VOD or being shelved until they can release it, you know, either next year or later on. And one of these movies was one bedroom sort of like titled as one BR. And, um, I had heard some things about it. And when it was released on VOD, like last week, I think at the time of this recording, I was like, Oh, I need to watch that. And, um, all I really knew is that some girl was moving into a one bedroom apartment and, you know, scary things happen. You know, I didn't know if it was paranormal or what, but this movie is actually incredibly shocking. Like it has very little to do with like paranormal activity and has more things to do with like cults and just like Rosemary's baby type situations of living in an apartment building like that. But it takes things a step further than Rosemary's baby does. And it's again, one of these movies that I can't really talk about or it gives too much away, but it has some incredibly shocking moments. Um, and it really just like made me like think and be scared in a psychological way, a psychological way. <laughs> and <laughs> so 
I really recommend everyone go watch this one. Um, I gave it four stars out of five on Letterboxd. And like currently, as far as the movies that I've watched this year in 2020, and there hasn't been a lot that I've watched released in 2020, it's sitting second, like right under Swallow. So I really, really enjoyed this movie. The lead was good and it's shocking. So, yeah. I mean, go give it a shot. So I wanted to watch Tales from the Loop, which just released recently on Amazon, starring Rebecca Hall and, of all people, Jonathan Price. Um, mainly because it's a new sci-fi show, but also because the music is by Philip Glass. And of course, we at the Film Flamers podcast love some Philip Glass music. Um, I think one of our oh yes, yeah, I think one of our favorite uh, scores for both of us is from The Hours. And um, of course, he's done a hell of a lot more than that. I mean, he's even made appearances in like Battlestar Galactica of all things. Candyman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Candyman. Love it. But uh, Tales from the Loop is really high, you know, well-produced drama sci-fi with some horror elements maybe. But my God, it was depressing. I had like some visceral reactions to it's like an anthology, but it's all in one town. So it goes from like person to person and everyone has a background and weirdness going on in this town. It's almost like an American version of Dark, except it's more you know, disconnected. Um, I got depressed and I'm not looking to be depressed, you know? And so I had to stop after two episodes because it was just so like, I was getting angry at what was happening in the show. Just did two episodes in, like they're like little short stories of, they're not even short. I mean, they're like hour long, you know, episodes, but I mean, they're self-contained and it's, like the first one was depressing. It's like a little girl getting displaced from her mother and getting like time displaced and then going back and her mother's still not there. And then the next one is like a body switcheroo where the other person doesn't want to like give back the body to the other person. And so the other person try, you know, gets depressed and like tries to force his way back into his original body. And they're like teenagers, you know, one of them has a really high outlook you know, for his career and the other one doesn't. And, you know, they switched bodies for funsies, you know, cause they found something out in the woods that does this. And the other person ends up, you know, getting depressed cause the, the guy's not letting him switch. And so he goes out into the woods and does it again, but he gets swapped into like a robot body. Really? And his human body gets into a coma. And so he's stuck in this, like this, um, robot body that's they're just used for like farm work i guess and stuff like that and so you see this this robot out like in the episode like the previous episode just like watching people and you're like does it have a personality or something and then the next episode you realize it's that kid stuck in that robot's body just watching everyone and life go by and stuff and it's really fucking depressing and eventually i'll go back (laughs) to it but i mean it's thought-provoking but it's just kind of like a drain you know, so the whole fucking color palette is like grays and blues. <laughs> like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> so Ugh. I I saw a trailer for this right because I mean Amazon now is showing trailers before some of the free content they have on Prime Video, yeah. right? And so I saw a trailer for this, and I was just like, oh, I need to write that down. It seems like something I would like, right? This was a really short, like twenty second trailer, and um, what you're talking about. Because you throw around buzzwords like depressing, and I'm like, oh, sign me up. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it just seems like something I would like, you know, but it seemed really more sci-fi than horror, and that's that's, that's what kept well, me back. So when depressing you- in different ways, right? There's depressing, like the thought-provoking, gentle, single tear, depressing, and then there's depressing that like angers you and just puts you in a bad mood. <laughs> I mean, and I like it all. I mean, like I, I kind, I mean, this is this is really a weird thing to say, but like I enjoy crying, right? It's like not, I really, really, it's not that kind of, it's not something that's going to make uh, you cry. It's something that's just going to be like, it's just going to piss me off the whole fucking it. time. You know, Cause it's, you might cry. I don't know, but I mean, it's, I mean, cause there are some episodes of black mirror that really piss me off. Cause they're like really dark, you know, it's not melancholic. It's literally just fucking depressing. <laughs> Okay, you know what? I need to I need to watch at least the first two episodes and just like base my reactions on yours and see if I feel the same way or whatever. So yeah, I need to I need to watch that. I, I like Jonathan Price too. Fucking maudlin. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, throwing those buzzwords I like again. Come on. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I really like for me. Like, how is it compared to Dark Mirror, Black Mirror? Fuck, Black Mirror. Uh, well, Black Mirror is like distinct, right? This is all in one town and it switches to a different person living in that town. They cross paths uh, and everything. So it's like, it's interesting in that regard. So you'll see the other characters from different perspectives, you know, in each episode. So it's all okay. centered in one town, but it's all like from the perspective. Each episode is from a different perspective, a different person. But you see the other characters and you piece together the, you know, what's going on and stuff. But like I said, I'm only seeing the first two episodes of Tales from the Loop. So if any of you listeners have seen more of that, you know, more of Tales of the Loop than I have, then, you know, let us know what you think. Or if you've just seen those two episodes, let us know what you think. Maybe I'm not giving it the chance it deserves. Eventually, I'll go back to it, but probably when quarantine ends, so I can. <laughs> so you can take a breather and walk outside or like go to a fucking bar and have a cocktail afterward. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I watched a movie called I See You. This was a 2019 movie starring Helen Hunt. Oh. And I am a member of a Facebook LGBTQ horror fan group, right? And a lot of people were posting about it. And I was like, I'm going to watch it only because I want to see Helen Hunt in a horror movie. Mm. Right. And so um, we'll just start off by saying that her plastic surgery recently was not well done. Mm. And that's incredibly distracting to me in this movie because she does not look anything like what Helen Hunt is supposed to yeah, look like. Yeah, I saw like. her in trailers for Mad About You, and it just looks like someone like, took a blowtorch to her face and it kind of just like melted back. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I almost wasn't going to say anything about it because I don't know what's going on in her life, obviously. I mean, like she could have some sort of medical issue or something, and it's not just like Hollywood vanity, you know? I feel like we see this, though. You know, like I feel like when, when celebrities like first start doing things, you know, because she looked fairly naturalistic yeah. until recently. You know, like Renee Zellweger first, th- and then way back when Nicole Kidman first started doing things, they looked yes. like they were plastic dolls, you know, or very different. And since then, Renee Zellweger returned to normalcy you know uh, nicole kidman has returned to semi-normalcy and i feel like helen hunt will eventually but you know yeah so maybe just give yourself like a five-year break after your first plastic surgery you know and then go back to well, work I th- you I, know if you're doing this to get rolls or whatever but. i feel like it you know facelift and things like that are one thing but when you're botoxed to oblivion that's what really gives the uncanny valley you know and that's well that's I mean, why like, we see it sometimes reverse but just the way that her face looked i was like oh my gosh she looks like rocky dennis <laughs> <laughs> just like, 
Well, okay. So we're not the type of people to really comment on people's like looks like this, especially women. Like we, we don't want to be part of the problem, but it's, it's just like Helen, like you are naturally very beautiful and you can deal with your body what you want, but girl, (laughs) you went overboard. (laughs) All right, well, let's not let that just, like, you know, completely overshadow the movie, right? So, I see you. Um, I liked. I thought it was good. It was a decent movie. I'd actually watch it again. And the reason that I like it so much is because it starts as one thing and finishes as another. About halfway through the movie, it takes a really hard left turn, like a really hard, sharp left turn. Oh, and I was just that. like, I was like, what? You know? Come what? And, <laughs> come what? And it really just, like all the questions that you had in the first part of the movie that you think is something else get answered in a way that you're like, Oh, okay. Right. And it's just, it was really ingeniously written and well acted for the most part. And it's good. It's good. It's worth a watch and you can watch it for free on Amazon prime right now. Like it's, it's a, it's a good movie. And that, that shard, that, that shard, <laughs> that, that hard left turn that start left really, turn. <laughs> great so i mean go watch it again i have all these like spoiler heavy movies that i can't really talk about but i mean you may just have to just take my recommendation and go give it a watch and i would love to think i'd love to hear what other people think about this movie so y'all go watch it and then hit us up on uh social media please. okay so the last thing and most recent thing i watched is i finally watched lost in space and i'm a big sci-fi nerd you know so of course i was eventually gonna see this plus i'm a fan of parker posey and and she's kind of like the big name in that um and i've always loved her in comedy so it was kind of shocking to see her as not only in a kind of a sci-fi adventure drama you know but also kind of as the bad guy and i have to say she is brilliant in it she does such a good job and she, you know they say drama is easy comedy is hard you know and uh she obviously proves that because she uses obviously some of her comedy to do some of the more subtle work that she does in having to come up with she's like a con artist and she's constantly having to like come up on the fly with answers to the shit that she has no idea about she's posing as a psychologist <laughs> she's not a psychologist just you know and it's uh it's really interesting but um this is actually i don't know if it's produced but at least like a lot of it is directed by neil marshall who did the descent and a a bunch of game of thrones episodes like the blackwater episode of game of thrones and some of the like the biggest episodes and most important episodes of game of thrones but and i love the descent which i think you still haven't seen no i've seen the descent okay well I haven't seen the sequel, but I I, lo- I love the descent. That movie scared the shit out but of me. But it's like the original Lost in Space combined with like Lost, maybe with like a dash of Sunshine, and you can take that in both ways from the movie Sunshine as well as Sunshine. <laughs> but <laughs> it's in space, paying right? homage to movies like like I've noticed like Aliens, uh, Pitch Black, and even The Abyss. It's I feel like it's really trying to be a sci-fi thriller adventure slash horror. That's accessible to like families, I think, but it really flirts with our territory with violence and gore and some language. And there are monsters and creatures and gore and uh, horror movie homage more than any other genre, I would say. And um, it's incredibly, incredibly well produced, like definitely movie level stuff. And I, and I love some of the surprise casting that happens like Parker Posey 
to get on this transport to go off and have a new colony or whatever. She's pretending to be her sister. And of course her sister is played by Selma Blair. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, there's some interesting casting here and there sprinkled throughout. And, um, it really starts off as like almost like a survival horror. And then it gets into more of like a lost situation. And it's, it's kind of going in an interesting directions depending on where it is in the show. I just started season two and they're in a completely new and interesting environment. And the set pieces for that have been amazing. And the new creature for, um, uh, I guess the robot from the original series in the movie back in the nineties, uh, danger. Will Robinson is an alien. And it can be incredibly horrifying and it's been nominated and won a lot of like visual effects awards for like Saturn awards and stuff. So uh, several people had told me to watch it. I saw like the reviews were kind of in the seventies range for rotten tomatoes. Um, That's Midland. Yeah. um, Although for genre, that's not bad. And then the second season has gotten like 20 points higher than that. It's like almost like 90% or something. And really, I feel like it's almost underrated. Like I, I, you know, I'm really quite happy with it. So, uh, especially for people that are looking for like a horror thriller or sci-fi, something they can watch with their, maybe some older kids, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, the gateway drug to some more hardcore horror and sci-fi and stuff <laughs> like the expanse or something. But, but, um, I definitely highly recommend, uh, lost in space. So my husband loves it. Like he was one watched- of the people that fucking recommended it to me along with some other people that I know. And, and I am sort of in and out of the room whenever he's watching things, right? Like I'll, I'll walk through to the kitchen or something like that. And I'll stop and like take in a snippet. And when he first started that first season, a couple years ago, when it came out, I was like, Oh my God, Parker Posey's in this. And he was just like, who like my, my husband famously doesn't yeah. know like who, who people are, you know, by their name, you have to tell him, like, tell him like what they were in before. And it's like, well, she's in this, this, and this. And he's like, no, I haven't seen those movies. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So, I was just like, but I was floored to see that she was doing something like this. And he was like, yeah, she's, she's kind of the villain. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. But on that second season, I was in and out of the room and I would stop and watch for longer snippets. And it seems like something that I would enjoy. I have never seen so, her do the heavy lifting and acting that she's, she's doing in Lost in Space. She's amazing in it. I really have enjoyed her quite a bit. I mean, like you said before, I mean, comedy's hard and drama's easy is what people would say. And I, I completely agree with that. I think it's really difficult to be a really funny comedic actress or actor, you know, and sort of like continue a career like that. And I think that Parker Posey is just naturally funny. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like the opportunity to see her something in a more dramatic or more serious like way is super intriguing to me. I just, I love Parker Posey so, so much. The House of Yes is like one of my favorite movies of all yeah. time. So, And of course I loved her in Sweetest Thing and I loved her on Will and Grace. And, you know, she was in uh, uh, Superman Returns is kind of a bad guy, I guess, with Kevin Spacey. Well, and let's not forget Scream 3. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> she was playing the actress playing Gail Weathers. Yeah. You know? And she was really funny in that movie. Scream three gets shit on too much. I like Scream Three. Another thing I like about Lost the Space is like the parents in it. It it's it's not as like saccharine as any other version of Lost the Space before it, which I, I don't like. Um saccharine, you know, anything that's too melodramatic or you know, I'm okay with actually melodrama, but you know what I mean. Like anything that's too like Yeah, no, I get you. But yeah. Yeah, like um, some of the the stuff that they have to do, but I, I do like almost the um, 
uh, Clarkian kind of view of them, like dedicated professionals. You know, like she breaks her leg horribly, like the mother, uh, in like the first episode, and like it's broken. She's like, "Oh, that's too bad." You know, there's nothing like super dramatic, and um, as far as like the reactions, it's not Muppety. You know. Yeah. Um, and you can tell that, you know, these are very, very intelligent, dedicated people. And uh, they handle that fairly well, especially in the first uh, three episodes. Um, I think the first three episodes almost could be like an extent, like a movie of this. because it, It's fairly encapsulated. And I believe um, Neil Marshall directed all, all three of the first episodes. So definitely check out those first three episodes. And if you're not hooked by yeah. then, then it's not for you. So the last thing on my list um, is actually a horror short film. Um, the creators of this movie that's going to be making the festival rounds, hopefully if there are festivals coming up this year, um, offered us a screener to the movie to watch. And um, you know, I took them up on it. So we, I watched it. It's called The Telltale Heart. And it is a you know version of Edgar Allan Poe's short story, you know about the guy who kills the person he's working for, hides the heart in the floorboards, and they can hear the heart beating throughout the entirety of the story until it drives him mad. And this uh, horror short is very, very good. Like it takes the story into different directions. It's sort of set in modern times, but the narrator and main character of the story still talks like he's living in Edgar Allan Poe times, mm. right? So it's kind of like Bez Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet in that regard. But they change the story just enough to make it interesting for modern viewers and retain everything that was so good about Edgar Allan Poe's work, right? And I would totally recommend it. Uh, it's directed by someone named uh, McLean Lindquist, which I think is a fascinating name. <laughs> and apparently... It has a Dickensian proclivity. I know. <laughs> I mean, with a name like that, of course you're going to be making movies based on Edgar Allan Poe. But uh, he's also a mortician. So that leads to a lot of, um, you know, the realistic body parts in this particular short film. It's 22 minutes, for God's sake. So, I mean, like... <laughs> When this thing comes out and you can get your hands on it, definitely go and see it. If festivals are up and running and you feel so inclined to go, I mean, go watch it. I think that it's great. And um, whenever it's finally released for the general public, we'll let you know and give you a link to go watch the movie. Why is it so much easier to say the Telltale Heart than the Telltale Heart, <laughs> which is what it's actually named? I, can't I don't know. It. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever said it that way. And. Uh, we both say the telltale heart instead of the telltale heart. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've read that short story a lot, and that's what I've always called it. So, I mean, my apologies. But, uh, yeah, it's good. So, we both want to mention that we have seen Penny Dreadful City of Angels premiere episode, which is right now streaming for free on Amazon Prime if you don't have Showtime. That's right. And uh, the first episode... Doesn't disappoint. No, I in fact, I was just thinking back to the the pilot episode of Penny Dreadful, which is very different from the rest of the show. And this one is almost more successful in setting up the premise. It's packed with subplot, though. I, I almost oh, yeah. wish it was more linear, you know, and they really, really set up a show, you know, with a bunch of different things they're going to talk about, which is going to be a lot heavier and more poignant for today's time and on history. And, you know, what was going around in history during those times. And it's tackling, like, you know, what was happening in the 30s with, like, Hitler and Nazism to racism and segregation and immigration and demons. 
So, <laughs> but some of the imagery already is just like they've taken what they learned from their effects and and cinematography and everything from Penny Dreadful, and they have kind of run with it because there is some iconic imagery and costumes in in this premiere. Oh my god, yes! So, like just that opening scene, like the the costumes in that are just amazing to me. I was floored yeah. by it. And then, you know, when they, they have that first discovery of those bodies with the Day of the Dead paint on, right? I was like, this movie has got a lot of things, this movie, this TV show has got a lot of things working for it and like the imagery department, right? And I love that they're, you know, really being respectful and using in a, a good way, like Mexican culture, you know? And it's, there's a lot of creepy things in there that can be mined that I don't think we get to see a lot in America, And right? they've got a lot of horror heavyweights in there. Um, you know, Natalie Dormer is no stranger to horror. Of course, she was on Game of Thrones, but she was also in a number of horror movies. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, you know, everyone in Penny Dreadful has done Penny Dreadful before. Um, there's some, uh, the guy that played Frankenstein makes a, a reappearance. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a German doctor, also kind of Nazi sympathizer, I guess, strangely. Yep. And um, we've also got like the main character, I think, was like the boyfriend of the main character in It Follows. And then mm-hmm. I think the person that plays uh, Santa Muerte is um, was actually Eli Roth's like ex-wife, who was in a number of films for him. Yeah. Oh, what really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of of people in here that crop up in horror, and so uh, it's it's interesting because I feel like it's a really good kickoff. It's really um, kind of fascinating to see all this, and it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of bring it together. I, I kind of want them to get a little bit more linear, and there are some shocking casting in this like i did not see coming i knew natalie dormer was going to be in i didn't really recognize anyone else from the trailer and i almost don't want to spoil it for them but there are some familiar faces that you do not expect in this show so check it out well i mean go ahead and say some names just in case i mean that might get people I to go watch shocked it that but... nathan lane is in this yeah nathan lane because i was people, shocked when you of told the me bird cage you know like you know and a bunch of other comedy you know playing a like a straight detective and apparently mm-hmm. a Nazi hunter of some kind, um, you know, yeah. in this, and he's really doing well. And, you know, there's, there's some other people that crop up and I'll just leave those. Cause some people will recognize them. Some won't. And the people that will recognize them will get, you know, will fall out of their chair like I did, but let's leave it at that. But um, definitely check that out. It's, it's like I said, it's free for Amazon Prime if you have that. And I'm really interesting to I'm really interested to see where the series goes with these storylines. If they're going to be doing multiple Penny Dreadful iterations, right, a la American Horror Story or something like that, I would really love to see it contained into one season. You know, Penny Dreadful was amazing over the seasons that it had, but. For this one, it seems like there's a lot going on already, and I kind of mm. hope they wrap it up a little quickly. It's a different. You know? It's a different show, definitely. It's much more. Yeah, it's going to have a lot more to say um, versus the other ones where I have so much homage, love letters to all those, you know, uh, turn of the century horror uh and gothic romance and this is not so much that this is a lot more political and so it's going to be a very different show although i do hope that we do get to see some of maybe those immortal characters like uh, dorian gray could come back you know that would be interesting to see if they could if they could pull that off yeah so i'm looking forward to it 
And I'm sure that eventually on other shooting the flames or maybe over on Patreon, we will have a longer discussion about this series of Penny Dreadful. One thing that was a little bit disappointed in was the music was so good and Penny Dreadful, like amazing. Like they didn't, you know, it, it's just top tier music uh, by like, I think it was like Abel Kurakowski or something like that. And uh, he was, he did not return for this show. It's a, it's a different composer. And I did not notice the music as much. It's not as much of a presence as it was in the first show. So that's something that I'm a little depressed about, but we'll see where it goes. I think we can all agree though, that Natalie Dormer is a force in this like show already. I mean, based on like the first episode, like she's, she's good. Yeah. She plays a huge part in it. She does. So Good for her, because I like her. I do. So, All right, well, I think that just about wraps up May's edition of Shooting the Flames. Unless, Chris, you had anything else to add? That's it. Okay. Well, as always, we appreciate all the comments and questions and reviews. You can leave us these comments and questions on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or you can call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Leave your voicemail and we'll play it on the air in the next Shooting the Flames and respond to it. So please do so because it's been a little bit. It's been a little bit since we've gotten a voicemail and we really do appreciate those. And like we said before, we also like to read the reviews. So head over to Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review, a little snippet of why you like us. We'll read it here on Shooting the Flames. And we like to mention our new patrons like Nikki. So head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers we can find all of our bonus content like chris said we're up to 45 45 episodes you also get early access to episodes sometimes multiple weeks in advance and uh, you can get that for as little as two dollars so head over and check it out well after watching all of that I think that's one of our longest Flamers favorite sections. I know, the right? Flames it was the ever. bulk of this episode. <laughs> yeah, you can tell we've been in quarantine. So, yeah, I'm going to need some rest after all that. That's right. Guys, go check out the recommendations. Let us know what you're watching. And above all, please stay safe right now. Wash your fucking hands. And until next time, sweet, sweet dreams. dreams.